It's more of a passive-aggressive game. It is. Welcome to Cardboard and Wine, episode 27. I'm Mamie. And I'm Josh. Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games. A few of our favorite things are ice cream, long walks on the beach, and trading in the Mediterranean. We simulate one of these in the resource and hand management game, Concordia. Josh, it's good to be back in the studio. Yeah, we have returned from spring break vacation. Yeah, we were able to line up my school and the children's school schedule and head out of town for almost a full week of vacation, which is rare. Yeah, no, we had a great trip. We did, we sort of had the city half of the trip and then the, the wilderness, half. mountainous half of the trip. Both a lot of fun. Yeah, we were down in Atlanta for a couple of days and took the kids to their first Braves game and went to the amazing aquarium down there and then went up to Asheville and did some hiking and fishing and relaxing. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a a fantastic time. We actually played no board games. No, we took games, as is often the case. Yeah, I think I always take games no matter where I go. (laughs) But we did not manage to play any. The weather was too good. Yeah, the weather was perfect. So we spent a lot of time outside exploring. Super fun trip. Also, we've been very busy getting caught up on our Game of Thrones and our Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. That's true. That's kept us busy. And we've replaced gaming a few nights with Game of Thrones recently. It's been a lot of of big screen movie events, big and small screen. That's true. Uh, So we're caught up on Game of Thrones and you're caught up on the Marvel Universe. I still need to see Endgame. Yeah, I saw it last night. I couldn't wait. Uh, I knew we were going to be gone this weekend, and I was just too afraid that I was going to get some spoilers. And you and the kids both decided you could not. Uh, you weren't super excited about sitting through a three-hour movie event. On a school night, that's a little bit tough. We had a student running through the halls of my school yelling out spoilers from Endgame, and I think one of the teachers tackled him. And told him he was going to have detention. <laughs> I could see that. What did he say? I'm curious now. I don't know. I didn't ask. I didn't want to know. Well, my favorite part in the movie was at the end where... No! <laughs> Just kidding. Hope I didn't give anyone a heart attack there. Should we talk about Game of Thrones? Uh, no. <laughs> we shouldn't. That was pretty amazing uh, as well. That was pretty amazing, yeah. All right. But anyway, this is not a podcast about TV or movies, <laughs> but a podcast about wine and board games. So why don't we talk a little bit about wine? Well, so after our vacation... We are on a bit of a spending freeze. So the wine this week actually comes out of the cellar. Okay, maybe not actually a cellar. Yeah, we I don't, don't think have this a came cellar. out of the cellar. No, I wish we had a cellar. This came out of the back of the cabinet or fridge. Yeah, this came yeah. out of a box that I found when cleaning the office that had wine left over from a party that we hosted a couple of months ago. So it's... So free, sort of. Free, aged. Aged. Uh, it's a Pinot Noir, which isn't one of our favorites, and honestly... It's not that great, so let's not waste a lot of time talking about it tonight. Yeah, I will say what I don't often like about Pinot Noirs, not that this is even a good one. I hate to blanket disparage Pinot Noir in general as a grape varietal, but uh, you know, sometimes they are a lighter, more delicate grape, and this one has has that sort of lighter, almost lighter shade than yeah. you would get from a, a Cab or a Zen or a Merlot or a Malbec. Uh, and I don't know, I like a bolder, bigger wine, but maybe I just need to... Maybe I have a big, dumb palate. 
Yeah, Pinot Noirs can just be a little boring, I think, comparatively. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the color. When we did our blind wine tasting party uh, for for New Year's, the Pinot Noir was the one that everybody could tell what it was because it was that lighter shade than everything else. Yeah, easy to pick that one out. And that was a really good, well, that was a quality Pinot Noir. Still was not my favorite. Yeah, still not as exciting for me as some of the others. Well, something I do want to talk about that I am very excited about that is wine-related, we just want to give an unbelievably special thanks to one of our Patreon patrons, Kyle Hammond. So Kyle made us a laser-etched wine bottle stopper from a Napa Valley recycled wine barrel stave. It's awesome. It's Thank you so, so much, Kyle. We love it. It's so amazing. And I, you know, I'll include a photo in our show notes but it's just such a thoughtful gift. It's It's got our logo, cardboard and wine, etched right into this this wine barrel, this piece of a wine barrel stave. And then it's it's grafted onto this wine stopper so we can use it as a wine bottle stopper. It's got our logo. It looks so cool. So, so thoughtful. Yeah, so special. We proudly have it on display here at our house and have shown it off to numerous friends and our game group who are all also very impressed. So thank you so much, Kyle. Yes, and also a huge thanks to all of our Patreon patrons. You know, it's a small group, but it's a proud group, and we really appreciate you all. Yeah, if you'd like to support the show, you can just go to patreon.com slash cardboardandwine, or you can go to our website, cardboardandwine.com, and click the Become a Patron link. All right, Mamie, we mentioned, I guess we haven't played a whole lot of games because we were gone on vacation, but we've played a few things since the last episode. Yeah, we've played a lot. A lot of games that start with the letter C. Yes, we have for some reason. That's been like a theme. We have played a lot of Concordia, which we're going to talk a little more about. And we've played quite a bit of Coimbra. And we also, just this past week, broke out Castles of Burgundy. That was one that we talked about in our previous episode about uh, weeknight games. And we both were like... We need to play that. We haven't played that for a while, and we broke that one out. It was so much fun. Yeah, that's that's what the fun is of making those lists and thinking about games is it helps to jog our memory. Like, oh, yeah, we haven't played that one in a while, and we had a great time. Yeah, it was, it's a great two-player game. And yeah, and our playtime was just a little bit over an hour. So it was really a great weeknight game. Yeah, just wanted to make sure we were uh, giving good advice when we said that was a top <laughs> weeknight game. We actually had fun on a weeknight playing that game. I know, I think we might week. have to play it again. Yeah, definitely. Why don't we... Since we haven't done a lot of gaming in the last couple of weeks outside of Concordia, really. Which we've played a lot. Which we've played a lot. Why don't we just jump right in and talk about that game? Sounds good. Concordia is a quintessential Euro-style game designed by Matt Gertz and released in 2013. Players move their colonists around various maps set in and around regions of the Mediterranean, building houses and cities that produce various goods that can be bought and sold to further expand your empire. Gameplay is driven by playing personality cards that allow players to take one of the various actions on their turn. Goods can also be traded to acquire additional personality cards, allowing players additional, often more versatile, action possibilities. One of the most interesting aspects of Concordia is that each player's hand of cards not only dictates the actions available to them during the game, but also how they will score points in the end game. The player who most strategically builds their empire while managing their growing hand of cards will score the most points and be crowned the winner. So, Mamie, I think you could... Uh, I read a description of Concordia when I was doing research for, for the show, and it mentioned that Concordia is a peaceful strategy game of economic development. Would you agree with that? 
actually, that makes a lot of sense and makes me maybe realize I've been playing the game wrong. <laughs> Have you been playing it as a as a war a warring uh, not, conflict? Not uh, warring, but I think the economic development part of it is something that I have a little bit of a hard time wrapping my head around. How to get the engine going. Yeah, your military strategy has not worked out well. No, <laughs> it hasn't. And the other thing that I've I've struggled with is the decision of um, diversification versus monopoly. Mm, yeah. That's a key that's a key decision space that this game's in. And and we'll talk more about that in just a second. But before we jump in, I guess to talk a little bit about what drew us to this game, I think I was the first one of us to play. So at our local um, gaming con, I think we mentioned that that was my first introduction to Concordia. And I have to admit, my initial impression was a little uncertain. So I have to say, uh, one thing I've noticed about myself is when I'm playing new games for the first time, especially heavier games, um, what I really like to do, my ideal situation, my ideal way to approach a more complex game is to be able to read the rule book or even watch a video. And on, watch a video. Probably and watch a video. <laughs> you usually um, do both you know, or two or three. But, but I like to do a little bit of that research on my own before I approach the game and before you know someone then starts teaching me. I think it allows me to absorb the rules when being taught a little more efficiently when I've at least exposed myself to some of the components and, and some of the objectives of the game. I think, I mean, I think the teacher for a game can have a lot of impact on how you feel about the game. You know, the first time you play, if you have a really good teacher that's good at explaining those complex things in a way that makes sense, but that doesn't get too in-depth, it can make a real difference as opposed to when you have a teacher who means well, but doesn't necessarily get everything across. Yeah, I think I've had a few bad experiences getting stuck with a really complex game, you know, where I really came in cold and, you know, the teach was a little bit rough. And, you know, I think as I've mentioned, I think my tolerance for sitting in one place for a long period of time <laughs> has gone down a little bit. And so, you know, when you when you play a game, a lot of these games are two to three hour experiences. And when you tack on an extra hour for teaching, That's a, yeah, you, know, that can, you can be worn out before you start. Um, so I think when I first sat down, and, and what I'm not saying here is, is, you know, the person who taught us actually did a wonderful job teaching this game. And one of the things that initially impressed upon me was that my um, first impression was a little bit wrong. I thought this was going to be really complicated. And, you know, we all had our initial hand of cards and all the actions you do are based on these cards you have. And, you know, I wouldn't say the cards are completely simple and clear. I mean, there's a lot of text on the cards, um, but they really do a good job of explaining the actions and they're really not that complicated. The, the rules overhead, it turns out, is pretty low and most of the complexity of the game comes more from the decisions to be made um, and managing your own economy of gaining goods and money and spending those resources to build buildings, get more cards, which eventually score you more points. So I guess my concern was a little unfounded because while there are all those cards, it turns out there's really only maybe seven or eight different actions you can do, and they're very well spelled out on those cards. That's what I was going to say. I think when you first look at the board, there's a lot going on, you know, in the in the different regions and the different colors and different goods. And then you have this deck of di different cards. Plus, you have to remember that you played with at least one expansion, maybe multiple in your very first playthrough. So that added to that complexity. 
but I think once you really, especially when you drill down to the base game and you examine all the information that you're given on those cards, because you're right there, there is a lot there. It's not as complex as you might initially think. Yeah. So, you know, that being said, I did win the initial game. <laughs> I think you have won every game you've played. Uh, I have lost one time playing this game. Uh, Dave beat me in a heads up one, one-on-one game. Go Dave. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, this game clicks with me it is in your some sweet weird way. spot yeah i don't know why but i will say despite that i was not instantly enamored um, but i'll say as the weeks went by after the con i found myself still thinking about concordia and and wanted to try it again so i did some research and realized that there was a new edition of concordia concordia venus that had recently been released so it seemed like a good time to pull the trigger so we got concordia and we've Played it about 10 times in the last uh, month or so. So I would say we have a good impression of, of Concordia at this point. I will say we will be basing most of our uh, discussion of the game on Concordia Venus. We'll talk a little bit towards the end about what some of the differences of Venus versus the original base game. But do know they're essentially the same game. Very minor differences. And then you did mention I played with an expansion. My first game, I played with the Salsa expansion, which adds salt as a wild resource. We've played with and without it. But we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. We'll base most of our initial discussion on on just sort of the, the base uh, Concordia. I mean, there's plenty there in the base game. Let's talk a little bit about the components of the game. So Concordia is a game with lots of components. The kind of centerpiece of the game is the map. Now, there are how many maps that come with the base game? Uh, four, four, four maps. Four yeah. different maps that come with the base game. So you already kind of have some cool diversity there. Um, and they're all, as Josh said, parts of the Mediterranean. They're really pretty and colorful, and they have clear text. Although I will say they're in the... I believe it's Latin is the language that the locations are written in. And so all the U's are replaced with V's. So it throws me off a little bit, but they're pretty clearly labeled. Um, But that is not important to gameplay. No, it is not at all important to gameplay. It's just a thing. But so the map is kind of the centerpiece, but then there are also player boards. Each player has a player board that's two-sided. One side has the information about your kind of starting resources and then the other side is really the side you use for gameplay and that shows your storehouse where your colonists and goods are stored until you use them and you know those are pretty good quality they're cardboard but they're a decent thickness and then there are all the wooden components you know i love fun shaped wooden components and this game has a lot of them there are people which are a slightly different shape they're a little taller and thinner than your standard meeple and then there are also boats and both of those represent colonists it's just the people go on land and the boats go on water but there are also different wooden goods, including cloth and wine. Uh, the anvil, which I believe is tools. Is that what that one represents? I think so. Wheat, which is food, and bricks. Uh, and they're all, you know, just great little wooden meeples. The only thing that's a little weird about that is the brick and the wine are the exact same color. Yeah, that's really a questionable decision of all the colors you could use. And you're right, the shapes are all completely different, but for some reason, bricks and wine are really painted the same color, this dark red, and they they get confused. Yeah, I mean, even if you just made the bricks brighter red or the wine purple, it would have made a huge difference. So yeah, that's very perplexing to It me. is, it doesn't <laughs> make sense to me. It was a weird choice. The other really important component of this game is the cards, 
They are pretty standard cards. They're not mini cards. They're not giant cards. They're standard card size. Um, They're appropriate card size. They are appropriate card size. Pretty good quality. You don't really do a lot of shuffling with them, so it's it's not as important as it is in some games. But one thing I love about the cards is they do have really clear descriptions. Each card allows you to do a different action, and there's a very clear description of that action and when you can use it on all of the cards. So... That's pretty important. The The last component of the game is money, but we I don't think we've actually played at all with the money that came with the game. Yeah, it comes with these cardboard coins, and they're fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with them, but we have exclusively used our metal viticulture coins, and we've those are so fantastic. We've been using those for several games. Yeah, those are great. They're so nice. Those they're, like, heavy. Coins. Yeah, so, you know, not necessary, but it's something we like to do is keep our our viticulture coins out so we can use them with lots of games. The components are fun. I agree. You know, what we have come to expect from sort of a Euro style game at this point. The cardboard is nice. The wood is nice. I will say you mentioned these intricately shaped meeples that are fun. And for the most part, I agree. That's true. Except the cloth is just a rectangle. Yeah, I don't understand why. Yeah, it's just a little... <laughs> it is a rectangle. Blue rectangle. Yeah, you think they could have come up with something. Um, That's true. And, and also, I'll say, if we talk about the salsa expansion, it adds oh. the white salt meeple, which, which is a cool... oversized. Yeah, it's a cool little sack of salt, but they're so big. <laughs> yeah. They barely fit in the little space on your warehouse. So I don't that know was if that just was a mistake. An, yeah, or, that was an oops in production, I'm sure. I mean, they're okay. Like, they're doable, but they're noticeably larger than the other <laughs> other yeah. resources. Uh, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the gameplay of Concordia. Yeah, as you mentioned, Concordia is a strategy deck building and hand management game. I don't know that I'd ever thought about it as economic development, which might possibly be why I'm not doing very well. <laughs> well, you know, I guess you know, from the point of view, I wouldn't have necessarily thought about it that way either, you know, compared to a game that's obviously an economic game like uh, like Container, for example, right. or even an 18xx game where you've got like your stocks, uh, you're building the trains, but you're manipulating the stock prices. Um, you know, I guess it is an economic game insofar as any game where you are, producing resources which you then have to buy and sell and trade to then produce more settlements to make more resources any euro game yeah so i think (laughs) you know i think most games like that have this little economy of building to produce goods to sell for money to do more buildings to produce more goods Um, so it has that type of economy that's probably going to be fairly familiar to anyone who has has played any number of sort of euro style games But I I do think when you said that, it did make me think about some of the economic choices that you have to make in terms of, and I mentioned this a little at at the start, the decision to diversify what you're buying and and how far you spread out versus the benefits of staying in territories but owning more goods in an individual territory. So it's interesting. All of those kind of different economic choices are actually handled through your deck of cards. So it is sort of a deck building game. And, you know, hand management, I think, is essential. I have a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around it. And I think it's because there's kind of two different things that you're doing with those cards. So the cards that you're collecting, you do use them to take different actions during the game. But, and this is probably most importantly, they factor into in-game scoring. So depending on how many cards of a certain color you have, that will impact how you score 
for example, how many territories you're in. So a certain color allows you to score a certain number of points for every territory that you're in. Whereas another color gives you points for having more settlements in individual territories. So balancing how you're using those cards throughout the game and how you're collecting them and how what you have in your hand at the end is going to impact your in-game scoring, it's pretty complex, and I still think I don't totally have my head around it. Yeah, and I'll say that it's that second part with the scoring. I think that I think if it wasn't for that, I would have probably passed on this game because it would have been too similar to, I think, a lot of other games that I had played before. So, for example, if you just, let's say you got some points every time you built a settlement, and then maybe you got some additional points if you built in a new region or something like that. Um, but the fact that, you know, the flow of this game is once you kind of know what all the cards do, you just sort of start playing. You're moving your playing cards to move your people around, to build buildings, and then you can you know, make those regions produce goods everywhere you have a house and then buy and sell those goods or buy more cards that give you options for more actions. You just kind of play, but all the while during the game, everyone's scoring marker just sits on zero. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty crazy yeah. to not have any scoring until end game. And I think one of the things that intrigues me is you really don't know who's winning during the game. I mean, sometimes, actually... I know, Mamie, you were joking that I always seem to win, but I often feel like I'm not winning, <laughs> you know, and that I'm, you're sort of surprised. Yeah, it's it, in-game scoring in this game is definitely the most interesting moment of the game because it really is a surprise. I, I mean, I have not managed, I'm sure there are probably people out there that have played this game so much and are so good at it that they can kind of watch the cards and, and figure out what other people are going to score based on what they've done, but I... I can't keep up with that. It's like counting cards in Vegas. Well, to play this game well, uh, to put yourself in a good position to win this game, not necessarily do you have to go into it saying, I'm going to do this strategy. But I think what you do have to do is, as the game starts to unfold, probably in the early, mid, middle of the game, um, to certainly the middle of the game, you know, you can kind of get a feel for how am I spreading out across the map? You know, am I bunching up in certain places? Am I diversifying? Am I getting in lots of regions? And those different types of cards that are out there, maybe you mentioned it, you know, there's the action on the card, but then there's this colored stripe that has the name of a god. And I believe there are, I can't actually remember if there's seven or eight, six, seven, eight of these different, different gods. And each of them scores in a slightly different way. So to give an example, uh, one of the gods is the god Saturn. And so all of the Saturn cards have a yellow stripe along the bottom. So really easy to see. So at the end of the game, what the Saturn card scores is you get one point for every different region that you have built a settlement in. And so most maps, there's like something like 10 to 12 different regions. So let's say you happen to build a house, build a settlement in 10 of those different regions. Well, you would get 10 points uh, for each of those yellow Saturn cards you have. So if you happened to have collected five of those Saturn cards, well, that's 50 points. You get 10, 10, 10, 10 for every yellow card you get. So if you start to see that, oh, you know what? I'm really doing a good job of spreading out and building in lots of settlements. That's 10 points for every yellow card I get, and you start to see those yellow cards coming out on the row where you can buy cards, that can focus your strategy a little bit. And there are other ways um, you can get points from the different gods as well. So I guess what you can't do, and that's what I, what I find interesting about this game, 
is you can't just focus on what you're doing on the board. You're, you can't just focus on a single strategy of, okay, cool, I'm going to like spread out and build lots of houses and then get some stuff. Because you can do that well, but if you do that at the expense of not getting cards, it's really the cards where you get your points. That is That has been the key to your victory in most of the games we've played. I mean, at the end of the game, when we count the cards, you have always purchased more cards than anybody else. Yeah, that's key. Because without the card, I mean, you could have built everything. And if you don't have many cards, you're not going to score many points. But the flip side of that, and where I, you know I feel like I run into trouble sometimes, is unless you have the resources and you're producing and you're you you need resources to be able to buy the cards. Yeah, and it, it's a fairly tight economy. You know, you're you don't have an overabundance of money and resources, and and oftentimes what can happen, and we should mention too, maybe why this is called a peaceful economic game is you never completely block anyone else out. So if a player builds in a city that you wanted to go in, you can still build there. However, it's going to increase the the money cost for you to go there. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy the peaceful because when someone, or especially two someones, build in that city that you really were planning to build in in the next round, it doesn't feel peaceful. It's more of a passive-aggressive game. It is. It is. We've definitely had lots of, ah. Oh, Josh, why did you build there? Moments. I was just getting ready to build there. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's true. But yeah, I would say the economy is pretty tight. I always, when I'm playing this game, feel that tension of there are more, there are things I want to do that I just don't quite have enough resources for. And so, oh man, how am I going to get, I just need like two more dollars or one more cloth or something like that. And so, you know, you really can't just build, 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 but you do have to think about how am I going to get a little bit of, you're, you almost feel like you're scrounging for, oh, I need some money. Oh, now I need some goods. Or oftentimes you'll find yourself in a situation where well, I have tons of money and no goods or tons of goods and no money. And an interesting thing we should point out though, is you mentioned those personal player boards you have that's like your personal warehouse, but those have a limited number of spaces, so you can't just hoard goods. Um, I think you only initially have spaces for maybe eight different goods. And hoarding money is not a good strategy. <laughs> As you found out. <laughs> yeah, ending the game with tons of money in front of you, not the best. Money is worth one victory point for every ten dollars. Yeah, yeah, and that's not many. Not good. Um, I will say, though, I find this game really easy to teach. The rule book is actually only around four pages. And we taught this game to some new friends just the other day. And once you sort of walk people through what the different cards do, you're kind of ready to go. And so that's one thing I like about this game. For a, a little more complex game, I feel like new players can understand it well to play the game. Now, I will say I do feel like you almost need to go through that final scoring one time for it to really click. Definitely. I think everybody we've played with, when we get to final scoring and we do the counting out of the cards of different colors and then the, you know, the multiplication of the math for the points, everybody's like, oh. <laughs> I should have bought more cards. That's why Josh wins. <laughs> <laughs> now you know Except everyone. I know and it still's not helping yeah, me. Yeah, you've played 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play with someone other than you. You should. You should. I don't know what it is, and I don't. I don't win all games, but for some reason, this game clicks with my brain. Yeah, it does. I'm not sure why. So let's talk a little bit about expansions. So you know, we've been describing the base game for the most part, but I would say a Concordia player who wants to, who likes the game and wants to expand their experience a little bit, the Salsa expansion is probably the one that adds the most 
interesting new newness to the game. And so the Salsa expansion, besides some additional maps, adds really two different modular pieces of the game that you can mix and match. You can use them both or one or the other. So Salsa, I have been told, is the Italian or Latin uh, word for salt. But Google uh, Translate doesn't bear that Google does true. not seem to agree with that. So that may or may not be true. But anyway... Uh, as we mentioned, the Salsa expansion adds salt, which is a wild resource. So uh, in the base game, to build in different types of cities, you have to have specific types of goods. Um, we also mentioned you need goods to buy new cards. Um, having some salt available to you can be helpful because it can act as any resource. Um, so that, that's fun. That adds a little, little more flexibility to the game. The other addition that the Salsa expansion brings to the game are these forum tiles. And so... We mentioned you're playing these cards from your hand to do actions, but at some point, you know, you play all or most of your cards and you need to pick them back up. So there actually is an action where you simply pick all the cards from your hand back up. If you played Century Spice Road, you're familiar with this with this action. Uh, and usually you get some money, but with the forum tiles, you also gain a special tile that either gives you a one-time bonus or gives you some ongoing special ability. Mamie, what do you think about the the salt and also the forum tiles? I really enjoy the forum tiles. I think they break the rules just enough to add an interesting element to the game. I enjoy... So with the forum tiles, you start out with one that you get to have throughout the whole game. Um, and you get your choice of two, so you can kind of have a little bit of say. Yeah, you can have a little bit of say, and that can kind of help you shape strategy from the very beginning. Um, so I really like that. And then the the ability to kind of add to your special powers or to just get one time things that can be really helpful. Um, I like that. The salsa salt as a wild, I, I can kind of take it or leave it. I mean, I think there are good things about it having, you know, a wild resource out there, but I think it almost adds an unnecessary complexity. Yeah. We should mention, you know, the salt in the game is good, but not overly good. And so yeah. you, you replace so there are different types of cities that are put out onto the board that make different types of goods. And so you replace some of those with salt cities that make salt for you. And whereas salt is really great at trading in for things because it's wild, you actually can't sell it. It's worth no value um, monetarily. So um, it can be useful, but you know I would agree with that. It almost adds a little bit of extra complexity. I agree. The forum tiles, I think do make the game slightly easier and it's fun to have a power that no one else has, I think. So I would agree. But the cool thing about the Salsa expansion, besides the extra maps, which again, you could just utilize those and we've done that. You could pick and choose the the modules that you like and use them both or one or the other or neither. Yeah, I like having the different options, you know, and I like having the different game boards. I mean, there are definitely some boards that are better for two player and some boards that are better for larger groups. Yeah, and that's a great point um, that speaks to the flexibility of this game with all these different maps. And even the maps that come with the base game, they have different numbers of regions and different numbers of cities. And there's some really great resources online. You can find people have made a heat map of all the maps that are out there. So you can see how many regions each one has and how tight they are with different player counts. And I've utilized that quite a bit when we've played with two, three, or four, or five different players. And... Actually, that was one reason I bought the Britannia map because it's a great uh, two-player map. It's a smaller map. So there's a lot of flexibility there just based on what map you choose. And it and it doesn't change the rules at all, but just a, enough, a little bit of extra variety so it doesn't get stale time in and time out. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference there is kind of 
the the way that water and land interplay can be really different depending on the maps. Yeah, and I think you mentioned that, right? Because you have, you know, your little people, your little colonists, you start with um, a person and then a boat, and but the people can only go on the land routes and the boats can only go on the water routes. And so you do have to plan a little bit about where you go. And the, the best way to get maps there. make a big difference. Yeah, that is definitely true. What's your What's your favorite thing about Concordia? Oh, that's tough. I... You know, I think what we were just talking about, the sort of diversity with all the different maps and the ability to kind of interchange those expansions. I think if, you know, if we're including the expansions in there, I think the the sort of ability to change up the game is pretty cool. The, I really like the different maps. They're interesting to me. I like trying to figure out where in the world they are and yeah and we should say too besides the maps themselves being different the way you set the game up is there's sort of some controlled randomness where the different types of cities that produce different types of goods show up so there are a b c and d cities and their little tiles you can randomize and flip over and so you know where the cloth cities are or the tool cities are not in the same place every time but i'm sort of within some confines, they're randomized a little bit. So every game, every game board, even on the same board, is going to be laid out a little bit differently. I, I think I mentioned this already, but probably my favorite thing is the way that scoring works and the way I like multi-use cards and the fact that you have to use the cards to do all your actions and you have to think a little bit about the order with which you play those actions. So you might say, oh, I really want to use my architect card so I can move my person and build. But if I do that now, this is the only one of these I have in my hand, and so do I want to waste an action to pick it back up? But not only thinking about the actions that you want to do and the new cards that have cool actions, but it's really interesting decision space, I think, in looking at what you're building on the board, but also what's going to score and what cards do I need to score at the end of the game. And I think that sort of added layer of complexity with how scoring and building interplay and the actions you can take is just really interesting. And I don't know of any other game that does it quite like that. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely a unique and interesting feature. Plus it's the, the surprise at the end with the scoring can be fun. I know I'm kind of a big fan of that, like yeah. hidden scoring till the end. You know, it's kind, it's of, kind cool. of fun. Uh, anything you don't like about Concordia? You know, it's interesting because we've talked about how it is. And one of the things I like about it is there is a lot of replayability in the different boards and the different setups of the boards. But I have to say, we've played a lot of Concordia and I'm already a little bit bored with it. I think it's there's something about it and my brain. I don't think it's the game. I think it's my brain because you really, really enjoy it. I think it's just not as engaging for me as some other games. You know, this week when we brought out Castles of Burgundy, when we finished that game, I was just like, oh, that was so much fun. And I didn't win. It, You know, it's not that, although sometimes it's that, but it's not mostly that. It's just, I don't find it quite as engaging as I do a lot of other games we have in our collection. Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, again, we've played this game about 10 times in a fairly concentrated period of time. Uh, and this is certainly our most played game in the last couple of months. And I can I can appreciate that too. I think I'm ready to put it away for a little while. You know, I really have had a good time playing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I see a little bit what you're talking about with the the engagement factor. And I think for me, um, whereas I do, you know, the, the things I liked about it are, are absolutely true. But I find I find sometimes the decisions 
available to me or the right move that I need to make is fairly narrow. It's fairly, a lot of the moves are fairly obvious. So, you know, well, okay, I can move and build or I need more money. So I play this card. That's the one that helps me get more money. I got the cloth. I can sell that to get lots of money that then I'm going to use to do this other thing. So I think, you know, and again, that's one of the strengths too. We mentioned the rules are very straightforward and streamlined. There's not, uh, but at its core, I think that little economic engine is a fairly simple and straightforward engine. You know, you get some money and get this this number of goods. You can build houses to get more goods. Well, and I think one thing that I can sometimes become frustrated with is when the timing doesn't quite work out. You know, when like you mentioned earlier, when I'm a dollar short or when I'm a good, you know, I'm a good short. And it is a really tight market. And I think maybe that's part of what, can frustrate me in a game as opposed to, uh, you know, I like a point salad game or just an open market where there's lots of choices and lots of different things that could be done every turn. And none of them are necessarily the wrong choice. I think I enjoy that more than a game where there really is one or maybe two options and only one of them is probably the better choice. Yeah, that's true. And you know, it'd be interesting if we played some other games this many times in a row, because I feel like with this one, I've sort of figured out, here's a strategy to do well in this game. And so in the last few plays, I almost feel like it was less fun and interesting to me because I felt like, okay, this is what I need to do. You know, I need to spread out in this way and get these cards and then get the points. And so I don't, and maybe that's on me, you know, maybe I could say, you know what, I'm going to explore a completely different strategy, but I don't feel like there's a lot of room for other strategies <laughs> to try out, you know, unlike... You I know. have tried a couple other strategies, <laughs> and I will tell you, they don't necessarily work out. Well, that could be true. You know, and I'll say, unlike a game like, you know, maybe Gaia Project, for example, like Gaia Project or Zulkin, I feel like there are some really different things I could try, some different levers I could pull or buttons I could push that I'd be interested to see, oh, I wonder if you could win this way, or I wonder if this could work out. And with this game, I feel like there's not a lot of different ways to play the game. <laughs> now, I, can, I will definitely say it gets more competitive, like you're all kind of competing to do the same thing, and that can be fun. But yeah, I think as far as, do I want to play 10 more times? I don't. Probably not. No. Probably not. Um, now, will I be excited to play this with, with friends two or three months from now, absolutely. I would be happy to play this game. Um, and, and and that's a good point, you know, to, to bring this back in a little more positive direction of when we would break this game out. Had a lot of fun playing this game with a lot of different people. And I think this is a great, I think if you have friends who maybe have been enjoying games like Settlers of Catan or or Carcassonne or Pandemic, and they want some new games to try, maybe to take take that next step into a game that's even a little more strategic and a little less random. Um, I think Concordia can be an awesome next step game from a game like Catan, for example. Not to say that I think this is a bad game and not to say that I don't enjoy this game. There are a lot of things I really do enjoy about this game, but I think after playing it a, a lot of times, I'm kind of ready to put it down. And, and this will be an interesting one that maybe we revisit a year from now to we see We bring how it out of the cellar. That's right. That's right. So, okay, well, we've talked quite a bit about Concordia. So why don't we move into our final thoughts? Um, and maybe why don't you remind us about our Cardboard and Wine rating scale? 
Yeah, so here at Cardboard and Wine, we rate our games like we rate our wine. A number one is an empty bottle, sad and disappointing, ready to go in the recycling bin. Two is a two-buck chuck. It'll do if you don't have anything else. A three is a wine in a box. There are things about it that I like, but things I don't love. A four is a nice solid Malbec, easy to enjoy regularly. We've poured a glass and we're looking forward to enjoying more. And a five is a big, bold California cab, a game that's only going to get better with age. All right, Mamie, where does Concordia fall for you? This is hard for me. I I think I'm going to, I'm between a three and a four. Um, so I'm going to go on the three side. There are things I like about this game, but there are also things I don't love. And it's not the first game I would go to from our shelves to play. I think we have a lot of kind of Euro games and there are a lot of other games that I just am more excited about playing. So for me, it's a three. What about you? I'm with you there. I really went back and forth, and I think had we recorded this episode two weeks ago, I might have given Concordia a little higher rating, but I think based on all the things we talked about, I'm feeling like the the replayability, the decision space as from, sub, from play to play to play as time goes on, uh, I'm just becoming less interested, and it's feeling like I'm going down a similar path. And again, that could just be me as a player. Maybe I could try some new things, but I don't necessarily feel excited to do that. That being said, I still think this is a really great game. And I believe if we let this one sit for a while, I will certainly be excited to, to break it back out. I do love what it's able to do with as streamlined and as simple a rule set as it has. I love the cards and the multi-use cards and the way they score. I was really, really close to giving this a four. But I think there's the things I like, the things I don't like, I'm going to have to also go with a three. A 3.5. A 3.5. But we don't do that. A three. Okay. A solid three. A solid three. But again, a three is not bad, right? No, it's like a C. It's passing. (laughs) With no curve. We don't grade on a curve here. No, no curve here. I feel like I do, but... You probably do. I probably do. do, but yeah. All right, folks, thanks for listening to Cardboard and Wine, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. For show notes, links, and other fun info about the games we discussed on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com. If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, you can send us a tweet at Board and Wine. Email us cardboardandwine at gmail.com. Check out photos of the games we're playing on our Instagram at cardboardandwine or jump into our guild on Board Game Geek. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you, and it can help new listeners find the show. All right, everyone. Until next time. Cheers Cheers and happy happy gaming. gaming.